You know, John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. And we who sing, crown him with many crowns, we want Christ to be worshiped in every nook and cranny of the universe. And so we go out and we tell people about Jesus. And I'm super excited that uh, a group from Clearwater Church went out to Norvik. You see in some pictures there, Norvik, Alaska. We've done this, Melody, is it six or seven years? Eight years? This was our eighth year. Eight years we've gone as a church out to Norvik. That's outstanding. Wonderful. And so there was a teen camp, and then there was, um, then there was vacation Bible school in, in Norvik. And as, as God has been doing for eight years, um, just really planting seeds in the hearts of kids. And I want us to pray that those seeds come to fruition. And uh, I know that Greg and Melody, who've been the leaders for eight years... Uh, that Greg and Melody are super, super excited because this year there's actually uh, now in Norvik a, a kind of a missionary youth pastor and his wife, uh, youth pastor and his wife who are on mission. And so they're going to be able to continue to water those seeds with the word of God and prayer and all winter long. And that's a new, that's a new and exciting thing. So let's pray. Dear God, the seeds that were planted by the, the example and the love and the words uh, of the team. Lord, would you not let the evil one pluck them uh, and waste them? Lord, but may they, uh, may they get root in the hearts of these um, kids and teens, and may it produce a true harvest, a, a spiritual harvest, Lord, uh, so that their lives are changed and they actually become witnesses for you and, and influence other people. Lord, give Greg and Melody and the team great joy in being used by you. And Lord, we pray for this uh, missionary couple that have committed this next year to ministry in Norvik. Give them a great success, a great impact, a great joy as they serve. We, we just love you, Lord, and we are thankful for the opportunity we've had to make you famous in Norvik. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. Um, let me ask you, what was the first sin? What was the first sin? Here's a hint. It happened prior to Adam and Eve eating of the fruit. Coveting. Coveting. Yeah, it's very simple. Pride, I think you're, saying, you're meaning the same thing, Jeff. Pride. Because uh, Satan was coveting God's place, right? Coveting what God had. That's right. So the very first sin, we're going to call it pride, because otherwise the whole sermon falls apart. Uh, it's pride. <laughs> the very first sin was pride. Satan uh, was discontent with the place that God had given him. He was discontent with his lot in life. Uh, even though Satan, the Bible tells us, was the most beautiful of all of the angels, of all create, uh, created beings at that time, he's the top and, and should have been very thankful and enjoyed uh, that, the wonderful place God had given him, but instead was discontent with his place and said no and rebelled. So pride is 
exalting self beyond the, our God-ordained place, it's saying, I don't want, I want life to start with me. And so I'll start by saying, what does Mike think my purpose in life should be? What does Mike think is right and wrong? Uh, what boundaries does Mike want to draw for life? What does, how does Mike think he should spend his time and energy and money? Pride. <laughs> uh, you are proud and I am proud because it, it's the, it is the heartbeat of the sin nature. And we have a sin nature. The Holy Spirit is helping us slay that, but it still uh, is with us and, uh, and plagues us. So how proud are you? <laughs> Are, is, is God humbling you? Has He humbled you? Or better yet, are you humbling yourself? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, uh, God tells us, God opposes the proud. Opposes the proud. Uh, God will not allow pride to go unchecked. He resists pride in our lives. So, humility brings the blessing of God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, uh, God, God resists pride in our life. It brings the displeasure and the, and the discipline, uh, a chastisement of the Lord. But humility actually brings blessing, grace. And, and so, uh, one of the calls of the Christian life is humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And in due time, He'll lift you up. Humble yourself. And humility is all about being content with the place that God has, has ordained for you and then living out of that. And, and really, it, it has two uh, axes. There's uh, my relationship with God and my created place is I'm the creature. He's the creator. He has the right to call the shots. He has the right to define my identity and my purpose and, and tell me, you know, how I should live life and what I should be doing. I'm okay with that. And then the other axis is our relationship with people. And, and what humility says is, hey, uh, my fellow man is also created in the image of God and is equally as important as I am. Whereas when I relate to people out of pride, I'm either indifferent or haughty. Right? Either they don't matter to me, or I see myself as better, my needs as more important, and so I'm okay stepping on other people to get ahead. And, and this is the way we will live. We will live a life of pride, uh, even though we will mask that in socially acceptable ways, but we will live a life of pride unless God changes us by the gospel and by His Holy Spirit. We're in a series on the book of Daniel. Uh, this is week four. If you miss any of the sermons, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. Uh, and today we are, we are going to see the story of God humbling King Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, what's fascinating is it's King Nebuchadnezzar telling the story. So here we have, this, this is a section of the Bible in which a Babylonian king actually has written this. 
or somebody on his behalf, but it's Nebuchadnezzar saying, let me do it to Daniel chapter 4. And hopefully, I think God wants to use this passage to deflate the balloon pride in all of our lives. And hopefully, the end result is we will become like Nebuchadnezzar and uh, extolling God, not ourselves. I'm going to start here in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So, this is first-person narrative, right? I, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we've been introduced to Nebuchadnezzar uh, before in Daniel uh, a few different times. King Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler of Babylon, the mightiest empire on the planet at this time. Uh, he's the king who had conquered uh, Jerusalem and hauled, hauled uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others, uh, young noblemen, back to Babylon to be his servants. And he had, um, he had a dream that really concerned him, and Daniel, God gave Daniel the interpretation of that dream, and Nebuchadnezzar realized, wow, Daniel's God can reveal secrets. He, he's all-knowing because Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't even tell Daniel what he dreamed. He just said, nope, you got to pull it out of my head. And so he, he's like, Daniel, your God is the revealer of secrets. He's all-knowing. And then there was the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar, uh, inflated with his own power, said, what God can rescue you out of my hand? He threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, but God rescued them. And so then he, he's like, wow, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is the most high God. He's more powerful than I am. He rescued you from my hand. So we would think that, you know, God has been graciously revealing himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. We'd think that Nebuchadnezzar would be getting the point that you know, he's not top dog, <laughs> that there is a God who is greater than he is. And, and maybe he should start defining himself in light of God. But he doesn't seem to be getting it. And so, um, here we are a little later, apparently, in Nebuchadnezzar's life, and he is full of himself. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Life was good for Nebi. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And so, he then consults his, his wise men. And none of them can interpret the dream for him. And so finally, Daniel comes. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar is uh, confident that Daniel will be able to interpret his dreams. He, he said, Daniel, the spirit of the gods is in you. You can tell me what this dream means. And then he tells Daniel. This time he actually tells Daniel the dream, starting in verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these... I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh 
was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip it of its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. So this watcher for heaven, from heaven says, you know, here's the, the point or the purpose of, uh, of this dream and what's coming. Uh, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Well, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw in you, O Belshazzar, that's his name for Daniel, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom aren't able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the Spirit of the holy gods is in you. So this is a dream that God has given Nebuchadnezzar, and He is revealing to Nebuchadnezzar stuff that's going to happen to him in order to humble him, uh, so that Nebuchadnezzar and, and everyone who hears about what God lets or does to Nebuchadnezzar may know that God is the one who rules, and human rulers are, are merely put in place by God. God is sovereign. Nebuchadnezzar is not. No human is sovereign. God alone. Well, Daniel is quite dismayed and distressed when he hears this dream because God gives him the interpretation and he realizes it spells bad news for his boss, right? King Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel says, oh, king, may, may, this, uh, may what this dream says happen to your enemies. But he knows it, it is for Nebuchadnezzar. And so he says, the tree which was reaching up into the heavens, verse 22, it is you, O king, that tree, who, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Because remember, the Babylonian empire at this time is the mighty, mighty empire of the world. And it spans a whole lot of the known world at that time. And so... That tree represents you, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 23, And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon 
my Lord, the King. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar would know who the Most High is because that's how he's been, re been referring to Daniel's God now for a while. The Most High, Daniel's God, has made a decree about Nebuchadnezzar. And so this is, this is coming upon you. That you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you. God is going to take your reason away from you. You're going to go insane. And in your insanity, you're going to go out and live with the animals, and you're going to act like an animal, and you're going to eat grass like an ox. And this is going to be for seven periods of time. And we don't know what those sevens are, whether it was seven years or seven months or just seven kind of as descriptive of God's perfect number and and so this will, but, but we do know this, uh, it will end when Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself before God. Seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. So when is this discipline of God going to end? When will your reason be restored to you? And your throne be restored to you on the day that you humble yourself before God and you acknowledge He is supreme and not you. And you acknowledge that you're king of Babylon only because God allows it. So, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to, you're, you're going to become in physical form what's already happening to you. You're going to go insane. And, and I, I think this is intended. I think this is intended. Nebuchadnezzar is already acting insane because he's living out of a very unrealistic worldview. He's, he's functioning as if he is not a creature who will be judged someday by God his creator. He's living as if he's somehow better than other people and it's okay for him to oppress them and, and keep them in poverty and slavery and use them to, to build his great Babylon for his glory and his pleasure, right? People were to be used for his purposes. God is not somebody that you look to and say, what do you want me to be doing, God? How should I be conducting myself? Rather, Nebuchadnezzar is living as if, as if he's the top, as if life starts with I. And really, that's insanity <laughs> because it's not living in the real. The real is you're a creature. I'm a creature. And someday I will have to give an account to my Creator for how I have lived every moment of every day, every word that I've spoken, every act that I've done, every thought that I've had, I will have to give an account to God. And I will be judged if it was deemed unworthy, wicked, sinful. 
And, and reality is, even the person in rags is equally as, as important as I am because they also bear the full image of God. And that's what gives them inestimable value and worth. And so Nebuchadnezzar's already living as if he's insane, and God says, all right, now we're going to have that on display in a very visceral way, very physical way. You're going to become like an animal. And it's going to be, you're going to be that way until you acknowledge that it is God who rules. Verse 26, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. You, you will become king again. I'm going to preserve your kingdom for you, Nebuchadnezzar, so that when you finally humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, it will be returned to you. Now Daniel goes beyond interpreting the dream to giving King Nebuchadnezzar some advice, some prophetic advice, some, some very sage wisdom. And you know what? This is God talking to you. And this is God talking to me through Daniel and through this word. Here's some wise advice to those of us who are proud and upon whom the judgment of God will come. Because there is coming, Romans chapter 14 says, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for many people, they're going to bow the knee because the, the king of kings has broken their kneecaps with the rod of iron. And, and it's, a, it's a, I'm fell down because I've been defeated. But today is the day of salvation. Today we can bow willingly to our king, Jesus, save me. And then when he comes, woo, it's, you know, party on. It's victory. So here's, here's Daniel. Daniel says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Please hear me. Please listen favorably to what I have to say. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. God told Nineveh, in 40 days I'm going to destroy you. And the people of Nineveh, Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God relented and didn't bring about the destruction. And Daniel knows the heart of God, so he's like, look, if what God is telling you, Nebuchadnezzar, is that he's going to humble you, well, humble yourself, and then maybe God will allow you to continue with your prosperity, and, and, and then you won't need to be humbled. In fact, I think that's one of the points I have here. Let's humble ourselves so we can skip the day of humbling, which will surely, which will surely come. And I want you to notice ex ex how the, the, the precision with which Daniel speaks of humble yourself, because he talks about those two axes of relationship. Humble yourself in your relationship with God, and that's let, um, that is break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Stop living as if God has no rules for you, Nebuchadnezzar, as if you're a law unto yourself. Stop living that way and start 
Start with God. What does God say is right and wrong? And how does God want me to live? And, and you start with that. And what that should do is stop your unrighteousness, stop your sinning. Start living the way God wants you to live. That's how you practice humility in your relationship with God. Then he goes on to how, how uh, his, Nebuchadnezzar's relationship with other people. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Nebuchadnezzar, the great, great king of Babylon, is oppressing people. He's stepping on them to build his empire and to get ahead. And he's not dealing with people in justice, with justness and fairness and compassion and mercy. And so it's his pride that's on display in relationship to God and other people. And, and Daniel says, turn around, change, repent, be different, and humble yourself and then under the mighty hand of God. And then why would God then need to humble you. That's what he's saying. And there is the challenge to you and to me. God opposes the proud. God will resist the pride in your life. And, and he might very well, he, if you're a follower of Christ, he'll bring down his discipline because he disciplines those he loves. And it can be, it can be harsh and, and difficult. So, humble, humble yourself so that you can escape that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know, I, I wonder when Nebuchadnezzar heard this counsel from, from Daniel, I wonder how it pricked him. And maybe for a while he was sort of on good behavior, I don't know, maybe, maybe he really thought about it. Man. I didn't like that dream. That dream has me scared, and maybe I should amend my ways. I suspect he considered it. Maybe not. But it didn't, at a, at a minimum, we know it did not sink deep. It didn't last if it even was conviction. Because a year later, we read this, starting in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months... He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? He's full of himself. He's, and, you know, we humans would say, yeah, for good reason. I mean, Babylon was a mighty city. He had, he had built the uh, the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world for one of his wives. Uh, and it was a magnificent city that he'd built on the backs of other people by oppressing them, right? But it's true. You look, you look around and judged by human standards, this guy is on top of the world. And he is impressive. And look what he has done. Look what he has accomplished. He is the absolute paradigm of success and power. And I mean, he's got it all. And so he, rather though than, than saying, everything that I have is a gift from God, God be praised. I'm a steward. Anything that I have, I, I merely steward it on God's behalf. 
and I, I take no, there's no glory to me because even my very, the very breath in my lungs is a gift from God. And my reason, and what we're going to see, even his ability to reason was a gift from God that God could remove and did. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And he will humble you, and he will humble me if we don't humble ourselves first. Well, this story has a really great ending. By the way, don't take for granted your mental health. It's a gift from God, uh, and it's, it's something to praise God for and thank Him for. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. I think the order is important. He lifts his eyes to heaven before his reason is restored, is the way I understand it. In other words, finally, after however long it took, finally Nebuchadnezzar looks to God with the right attitude, and he has humbled himself, and then God gives his reason back to him. And I, and I don't know how that worked. Maybe while he was insane and eating grass, he still had the spiritual battle going on in his mind. Maybe, maybe the only thing his brain could focus on is, am I or am I not going to submit to God? And maybe he fought that for seven periods, and finally he broke and said, I surrender. I surrender. That, that is the story of so many people. Before they become Christians, they fight, they fight, they fight God. They might even physically shake their fist at heaven. They might say, I hate you, God. You're screwing my life up. I wish you didn't exist. People go to extremes. They blame God for all the problems in their lives, even the ones that clearly are of their own making. God, you, I did give you a chance. I prayed. You didn't answer my prayer. I'm done with you. You're going to run my life like this? You're going to let this kind of stuff happen in my life? Forget you. And they say all kinds of bad words. And they're angry with God. And they say, you are not getting me. I'm going to punish you, God, by just defying. I'm going to hate you till I die. Take that. This is real people in real life 
all over planet Earth, and they might be right here. You're insane. You might be living in a huge house, driving the nicest cars, taking all the vacations you want. You're, you're eating grass like an ox. That's your spiritual condition. But And I hope, I hope and pray that you'll finally be like Nebuchadnezzar and lift your eyes to heaven. Surrender. Submit yourself. Humble yourself before God. Because when we do, He gives grace to the humble. As long as there's today, you can get saved. It doesn't matter what you've said to God. It doesn't matter what you've done. You have not run too far for too long to get saved. God can save you as long as there's breath in your lungs. I love this. At the end of the day, I ne- days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. I love it. When, when, when His reason was restored, He didn't say, what did you do to me? I cannot believe you made me eat grass for seven years. You're mean. That was way overboard. That was ridiculous. How could you do that? No, when his reason restores, he blesses God and praises God. Later, he talks about extolling him. All his ways are just. Everything he does is right. Nobody can resist God. He, and I'll tell you, this, I have seen this over and over again. People who testify, they say, you know what? I was stuck in my sin. I was entangled in my sin. And then God let me... God disciplined me. I went to jail. I lost my family, right? Significant, drastic intervention of God and discipline of God. But God used that hard, hard time. He he used the eating grass like an ox, insane, wandering the wilderness time to restore my sanity. And now, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful God intervened, didn't just leave me entangled in my sin, they say, you know what? Uh, now over here I have freedom and I have a healthy relationship with God and I'm relating to other people correctly. And so this, this period of discipline was totally worse than blessed be God. These are people who have come to realize that humility is what leads to life abundant, not pride. I blessed the Most High, praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, unlike mine, Nebuchadnezzar. See, Nebuchadnezzar is getting it. I I just love this change around. His dominion is everlasting, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Not mine. I'm going to die. I don't even know if my kids or grandkids will continue on, and they didn't. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That's including me, Nebuchadnezzar says. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no, none can stay his hand. Nobody, nobody can, can block God and stop God. Or say to him, what have you done? 
Nobody can interrogate God. Nobody can second-guess God. Nobody can judge God. He is a law unto himself. Nebuchadnezzar has humbled himself. He's getting it. God is the creator and I'm the creature. He is far, far superior to me. I, I'm just nothing. I'm temporary. At the same time, my return, reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. Remember, God had said, I'm going to leave that stump until your reason returns, until you humble yourself, and then you get your kingdom back. And still more greatness was added to me. His best days were in front of him. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom, king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is why Pastor James uh, mentioned a number of weeks ago, I suspect I'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the last we hear about Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. And that seems to me a pretty significant pre-Christian conversion. Uh, this guy goes from being proud to blessing the Most High, praising, honoring, extolling Him. All His works are right. All His ways are just. I am nothing compared to God. I mean, seems pretty, seems like a, a, the kind of humbling that leads to salvation. Have you humbled yourself before the mighty hand of God? In the Christian age, here's what humbling yourself starts with. God, I am a sinner. God, you are right to send me to hell. But God, I willingly receive the salvation that you offer me in Jesus. I can't save myself, but Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Jesus defeated death on my behalf. And I believe you, God. I believe your simple good news that if I repent my sins and put my faith in your son, Jesus, I'll be saved and you'll take me to heaven. And between now and then, your spirit indwells me and you're going to help me live the, uh, the kind of life that honors you and pleases you and brings life. That's how you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And then that humble posture continues throughout the Christian life. But if you've never done that, you're still eating grass. If you've never done that, that's your next step. And I have a prayer here that, uh, if you put it up on the screen here, a prayer for humility. Yeah. And uh, I'll read it out and then... Think about it in a moment, and if you're willing to ask God for that, then we'll read it, we'll pray it together. First, I'll do it myself. Lord Jesus, grant me with a natural inclination, because my sin nature, right, my sin nature think, starts with I, and I'm better and more important, but grant me a natural inclination to never view myself greater than, than anyone, never. Banish all lingering sparks of self-importance that could elevate me greater than you. So, relationship with God and relationship with others. All right, if you want to pray that, let's pray it together. Ready? Lord Jesus, grant me with a natural inclination 
to never view myself greater than anyone. Banish all lingering sparks of self-importance that could elevate me greater than you. We pray this in the, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All that we have that is good comes from you, God. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Praise your name.